This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. The city of Chattanooga is getting ready to vote for a new mayor and city council. Early voting will begin February 10th and end on February 25th. The deadline to request an absentee ballot is February 23rd. Election day is March 2nd. Please visit the Hamilton County Election Commission website for more details. All right, I'm here with Rakita Dotley. She is running for city council in District 7. And Rakita, if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about the district that you're running in. Absolutely. Um, my name is Rakita Dotley. I'm a candidate for city council District 7. Um, I am. I was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, attended Brainerd High School, uh, UT Chattanooga, and then uh, finished my master's at Temple Baptist Seminary. I currently own my home in East Lake, and uh, I work in Austin Park. I work for the Westside Church as well as the Net Resource Foundation. Um, I have worked over the past probably 10 years in civic engagement through voter uh, education, registration, and participation activities uh, with various civic groups from our uh, sororities, Zeta Phi Beta sorority, to the Hamilton County Voters Coalition. Um, I've been in the community for years whether it's through the voter engagement activities or building community gardens, um, to now being the executive director for the Net Resource Foundation. Um, I've always been around. I've always um, been in the background, getting things done, because that's what I do. Uh, so I decided to uh, take that a step further and run for city council. Great. And if you could just kind of briefly describe uh, both your vision for the district and of course, the city council makes decisions for the city as a whole. So just briefly describe kind of your vision for your district and for the city. Okay, uh, vision for the district. Well, the district itself is very diverse. Uh, you have people that are doing well economically, and then you have a lot of people that are uh, living at or below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. uh, so my vision for the district is to bring it bring some unity to the district so we can move progressively forward together so that is my uh, overall vision for the district so after four years i can look back and say hey we did make progress we did do these things and so that is my overall vision for the district and hopefully that can spread throughout um the city as we mm -hmm. see the different districts throughout the city you know there are nine districts uh, so hopefully we can begin to see that type of collective action coming across the board. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that you think can really unify the city in that way for that kind of collective action? What, what are the things that you think uh, the strengths that the city can coalesce around? Okay. Uh, one of my top priorities is neighborhood equity. Uh, mm -hmm. Working in the community for I want to say 10, 20 years, uh, I've seen, you know, you see the disparities there. You see, uh, like I said, some communities doing very well, others that seem that have been neglected. Mm -hmm. uh, so neighborhood equity is important. And the way to do that is through communication, through community engagement. That takes a lot of work to do, but it can be right. done. It just, there needs to be the leadership there to do it. Um, so that's what I think it takes is that um, community driven, um, community-driven engagement that's going to move the district in that way. Um, one of my first 100-day goals is to create a District 7 council. And what that council will be, it'll consist of 
two to three members of each neighborhood in the community in district mm -hmm. seven coming together. Uh, we may start out monthly, then go to bi-monthly, quarterly, whatever's going to work. It's going to be a, a continuously working uh, council uh, that comes together and we talk about what's going on in your community, the positives and negatives, and look at something we can do collectively together. And that's where that starts um, because I work with Alton Park Neighborhood Association. I uh, have a meeting coming up with the St. Elmo Neighborhood Association. Mm -hmm. I've already met with uh, East Lake Neighborhood Association. Um, so looking at though, and there are many more, you know, there are a couple others as well in the district. Um, so coming to them and bringing them together because I think one of the misconceptions is that, you know, well, the perceptions is this neighborhood is getting more than this neighborhood or somebody's being treated this way. And right. it gives a perception of there's no issues over here because it seems that they're getting more resources. So mm -hmm. I think coming across together and saying, okay, my neighborhood has this issue. This neighborhood has this issue, um, begins to open the eyes to realize no neighborhood is perfect. And that is what can begin to bridge that gap because in campus right. in the communities and talking to people, you know, there is a common issue that they all have that I can't mm -hmm. wait to bring them all together to talk about. Um, and then they all have their own unique distinctive issues as well. So being a councilwoman that addresses a collective issue that they all mm -hmm. have, and we can all walk together and do that together, but also addressing the unique distinctive issues for each community, that's what's going to bring that together. And it can be done. It just takes time and it takes patience. Right. Yeah. It'll get done. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. One, one of the things I've been talking to a lot of the candidates about just in my own conversations with listeners is the kind of stigma of the the city government operating is kind of a good old boys club and people don't really feel involved and you know invested in the city government and so it sounds like you've got some some good ideas there to to address that um i, I want to move on and talk about the budget for a little bit the the mayor is in charge of leading the budget writing process and in the current form the uh budgeting for outcomes process starts in november and runs through june so it's a very long process there's a lot of background that goes into it a lot of community meetings um, but the city council has the right to amend or even reject the mayor's budget proposal and it seems like in the past by the time the proposal comes to the city council they're a little a little hesitant to make any changes because you know, there's a lot of good arguments for respecting that community input process that's in place. Um, but then again, the city council also has a, a direct line to a lot of their constituents and maybe has some good ideas about how the budget might be amended. So I'm wondering where do you stand and do you think the city council should exercise their authority over the budget more or do you think they should defer to the community input process that the mayor has instated? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that the budget, once the budget is received from the mayor, well, let me just go back a little. I think the budget should be a collective project. It should be a collective thing done. It shouldn't be the mayor just putting together a budget and then sending it to council to be approved. It should be, I'm always a believer of getting things done up front. Just deal with it on the front end. Mm -hmm. Then you won't have so many issues on the backside of it. And part of that is getting with the mayor, not just the mayor put the get budget together and you know, that's just what it is. But the community input process also includes the council members simply mm -hmm. because we are voted in by the community. We are right. voted in by the community, we are their voices. So to go in and reinforce those things up front with the mayor and say, hey, let's put this budget together. 
together before you send it to council. Let's all have a meeting before. Let's mm -hmm. go look at it and see. Let's revisit it. Let's let's address this before it even gets to the council floor. And if it's mm -hmm. something in there that we see, you know, through the budgeting for outcomes process that we see that, hey, the people didn't say this or we need to reallocate, we need to review, reject, whatever we need to do, that needs to be done up front. And I think dealing with that up front, people will be, you know, they'll know that, hey, we've dealt with, uh, we've, we've reinforced your issues and hopefully that'll be seen in the budget. The great thing about coming in as a new council member is that we don't have to utilize any other budget that, um, that the current administration is putting together. Mm -hmm. uh, we can come in and say, hey, these are the community priorities. Let's do that based on what we've seen. And we don't have to, we can reject the entire budget and just redo a whole new one with community priorities in it. So that's the right. great part about coming in uh, as new leadership is that we can take those priorities and just make them first, and mm -hmm. which it should be anyway, because I mean, right. we can't take it. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so we can... <laughs> So that's my um, thing on it. Yeah, I think that the council should uh, be more engaged. And that is mm -hmm. what, uh, that was one of my, I did an op-ed piece uh, about a week or two ago. And that's one of my 100 day goals uh, as mm -hmm. well is being heavily involved in the budgeting process so that, you know, maybe we won't have a three days or four days or two hour meetings because we didn't, we waited till, it's almost like when you get the council, it's the last minute, it's the last mm -hmm. thing. And now everybody's hesitant. Right. But if we get up front and say, hey, no, don't send that down here because we said, you know, the people said they didn't want this. So send it back and do it before you even get it to that point up to the council. Mm -hmm. Send it back before it gets there. But that requires yeah. that requires, requires more accountability to the council to say right. that we reviewed it and looked at it before it got down here. And that is uh, that is, the I think, the challenge. Right. That's why <laughs> and and the, the issue that really sparked this question on my end is the most recent budget that was passed over the summer, right in the middle of a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, there were a lot of people, over 200 people who signed up to speak at the city council meeting to kind of express their opinions on the fact that uh, $70 million was being allocated to the police department. And that's, that's a very large portion of the operating budget. It's somewhere around 30%, I think. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, kind of leading into this question, there's there's a lot of different suggestions on how to how to address the police budget in particular. And there's a lot of different there's a lot of different ideas out there, and you can't really make everybody happy. And you know, it runs the gamut from you know we need better training, so we need a bigger budget, or we need to divest and reinvest. And some people just want to defund the police, you know, take funding away to some extent entirely. Um, so there's a lot of different ideas out there, each with their own level of support. So I'm just wondering what, what are your ideas and your plans to address policing in this community to make sure people are happy again, bringing it back to the budget, but also to make sure that all of our citizens feel safe. Um, as far as the, the budget and for the police, I do think there needs to be some, uh, readjustments and reallocation there. Uh, they are being called to situations that they are not trained or equipped to deal mm -hmm. with like mental health issues and things of that nature. So I think that there does need to be some reallocation, some restructuring and policy reform there to reflect what we really want to see. We want to see, you right. know, a, a, we want to have public safety. We want to have a safe community, but we don't want to have, um, you know, issues like we had 
uh, that we've seen over the summer. So we knew we do need to do some policy policy reform, um, reallocation of the budget. I'm 100% for that. I did. I was reviewing the budget and I thought, oh, that sure is a lot. Uh, so they do need to be trained. Uh, of course, you know, they do the sensitivity training and all that, but there just needs to be more and also community policing. And what I mean by that under Chief Fletcher, um, and you can see the significant difference uh, between Chief Fletcher and Chief Roddy. And uh, with Chief Fletcher, you saw more police involved, uh, not police involved, but you saw more community policing in a sense of they were in the neighborhoods, they were walking around, getting to know people, mm -hmm. um, that you knew who your police officers were, you knew uh, they were a part of the neighborhood, if that makes sense. Right. Whereas now they are the police. You know, that makes a difference in how people respond to them and it mm -hmm. makes a difference in how they respond to the community. So it needs to be more of that. They are a part of our community and not just they the police calling when something's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that they're open to that because I've seen, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen the difference in temperature, you know, and I'm sure you've seen right, that too. Right. Temperature uh, with the transition of the leadership. Uh, but not to say anybody's perfect because nobody is, but just seeing that temperature change from one chief to another mm -hmm. uh, was very, it was very disheartening. Uh, so that is one uh, area that I would like to see more police in the area in, in regards to right now we're not having any events or anything, but just walking, meeting people, meet neighbors right. and feeling more comfortable. And then they, they're feeling more comfortable and trust uh building more trust within the community because that's what it's mm -hmm. going to take. It's going to take that trust and um, and better training. Right. Yes. So another issue that, that can get tied back to the budget, you know, there's a lot of different ways to take this question, but Chattanooga has been hit very hard by COVID in the past mm -hmm. few months. And, you know, hopefully the disease itself is not going to be as big of an issue just because the vaccine is starting to roll out. And hopefully by the time the elections roll around, it won't be as much of a problem. But there are going to be a lot of economic impacts, a lot of fallout on the other side where, you know, you have small businesses that are struggling. You have tenants that are struggling to make rent either because, you know, they lost their jobs or their hours got cut. Um, so I'm wondering, what do you think the city council can do to mitigate the economic impacts of COVID? Um, so things that the uh, city council can do to mitigate those, especially for small businesses, is continue to offer uh, like small business grants, small business loans to help them stay sustainable uh, during this time. And for mm -hmm. tenants, uh, I know that we had a utility and rent assistance program, mm -hmm. uh, continue to have those things going on, whether it's through the... Um, LIHE program with youth and family with the family the office of family empowerment but have those programs available so that they can stay uh economically afloat because it is it is very difficult right now and um dealing in the, with the organization I work with I've seen that people are just struggling to pay you know right. a $80 bill so it mm -hmm. is really hard out there so I think keeping those programs available applying for those federal you know grants whether it's a CARES funding also mm -hmm. looking at our budget and see where we can squeeze out that money uh to help assist uh small businesses and to assist uh our Chattanoogans that's where I think we can really help there mm -hmm. and one thing um that you know you, you touched on this you know people struggling just to, to get a utility bill paid um that's something I've heard a lot tied into homelessness more broadly, you know, people having their utilities cut off and then being evicted because 
that's part of their lease is maintaining their utility. So I'm wondering, um, would you support kind of similar fixes for homelessness more broadly in, in that sense or any other uh, issues that you wanna talk about in, with regards to homelessness, ideas that you think the city council can implement? Uh, yes, I do think, I believe the city has a division of homeless services. And then within that, I think there needs to be more investment into that. Um, there's a organization in Seattle, Washington. They have a village, it's a, a tiny house village. And mm -hmm. it is wonderful. Not saying it's not without its own, you know, issues and right. things of that nature, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people are people. It doesn't matter <laughs> what, you know, I always look at yeah. it because you got got to value the humanity in people no matter who they are whether they're homeless or whatever's going on but people are people um so mm -hmm. not to say it's not without issue or without fault but it's a wonderful idea that i think chattanooga needs to look into needs to go visit needs to look into uh to see if that's something we can do or can we create that space because right now what you're having is um because i work in alton park um i go down uh workman road quite a bit uh, I know a few months ago, they moved the homeless camp, you know, moved them off of that property. Uh, but then some of them moved right across the street. And then you have another homeless camp up on Ridge, I want to say close to the East Ridge Tunnel, going that way. Uh, also, when you go off Main Street, back by the railroad tracks, there's another homeless camp. So it begins with actually looking at it and saying, how can we, um, how can we mitigate this? What can we do to, you know, get them in a, in a place where we can, manage and help them and offer them social services because like I, mm -hmm. I just named three right now that I know of and I, I believe yeah three right now that I know of and mm -hmm. I'm sure other people know about other homeless camps or where they may reside so it's about creating that creating a sustainable uh, program that's going to continue to address and manage that because uh, some people like for instance when uh, they moved the homeless camp off Workman Road you had a, a woman who mentioned you know she had been living there 20 years Oh, okay, wow. what, do you do, what do you do when you have someone who's been homeless for 20 years? You have to really come to grips with yourself and say, is this by choice? Or is this, you know, is it the situation? Is it a mental health issue? Mm -hmm. uh, what's going on? Why, why is she homeless for 20 years in Chattanooga, Tennessee? Um, right. And then why haven't, why don't we have some type of sustainable, manageable way to deal with this? And so um, the the tiny house village in Seattle, Washington, I think is a great way for us to start looking at it, looking at some property, mm -hmm. uh, saying, "Hey, can we put can we put it here?" And it's a it's a place that, like I said, we manage. You know, we can offer the services for those who don't want to live in there. You know, live in there, they can work their way out to getting their own affordable housing, right. things like that. So it's it's ways to manage it. It has to be a um, a, it has to be a strong joint effort to get it done through uh, with uh, nonprofit organizations in partnership with the city and just getting it getting it done. So there's a way to manage mm -hmm. it. It's hard, it's complex, but it, it can be done. And then kind of kind of backing out of that issue and, and into something that kind of leads into it, um, talking about gentrification and affordable housing, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a lot of issues these days around gentrification, people feeling like they can't stay in their neighborhoods because property rates are just going up so quickly. Um, you've got issues with Section 8 vouchers and public housing not being able to keep up with demand. So I'm wondering, what do you think the city council can do with regards to affordable housing and preventing gentrification, people getting pushed out of their neighborhoods? Okay, uh, that is a uh, difficult issue to yeah. deal with. <laughs> 
Yeah, because you want development, but you want ethical, integrity-driven development. Right. Um, affordable housing should be, we need affordable housing. Um, when you look at the, the regular employee in Chattanooga, they're not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Uh, we don't make a lot of money, uh, but we want nice housing. We want to live in a nice area that that is reasonable, reasonably priced. Um, so that's what we want to focus on. So we want to like when I just I just moved to East Lake about I moved in September. I bought me a house, uh, but before that I lived in an affordable housing apartment complex, and that was much needed. It was much needed. It's close to downtown, uh, and a great, it was a great place to live. Only reason I moved was because I got a house, um, right. but everybody doesn't have that opportunity. So creating affordable housing within uh, the area is important. I want to uh, continue to advocate for that. Even in Alton Park, it was an article, I think it was in a paper today. It's a 240 unit uh, complex going up in Alton Park. Um, I want to say within the next year or so, it's going to be called the Reserve at Mountain Pass. Uh, very nice. Uh, definitely something I'm going to be looking at mm-hmm. as I'm coming into the city council seat. Say, okay, who who's going to live here? What is this about? Um, we did meet with the as a community. We met with the developers around June, and he mentioned it being workforce housing. So you always got to be careful of the wording: workforce mm-hmm. housing, affordable <laughs> housing, low income housing. Uh, they're all different. They're all different. They all mean different things. Uh, mm-hmm. So in that case, as a community member. I want to make sure that, you know, we're continually contacting, staying in touch with the developer, with the management company and say, okay, right. are we pushing people out? What's going to happen to the property values here? You know, right. what are we going to do to make sure that the people that live here can stay here while also mm-hmm. adding on new residents in the community? So it's about staying in communication with the developer, staying in communication with uh, the community to make sure that whatever it is we need to get done, we're going to get done. Uh, especially in regards to affordable housing, especially in the Austin Park, East Lake area, because we don't want people pushed out of the area. I know right. I don't want to be pushed out. And something uh, that the city council, I mean, the city council is very influential in this respect because mm-hmm. they have control over the zoning code. They have mm-hmm. control over the stormwater management and um, the steep slope requirements, all these these regulations around housing are things that the city council sets. It's one of the most influential things that they do. And so I'm wondering just more broadly, what, you know, what ideas do you have around the zoning code, changing land uses? Um, do you have any, any plans in that regard? Um, one area that I was looking into was the steep slopes, because uh, we want to preserve our steep slopes. We understand that we do need to start building um, and that we are currently building for density. We do mm-hmm. want, I know there long term, there's going to be increasing population within Hamilton County, especially Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. So we want to build for density, but we want to be conservative in the way that we're building. We want to conserve as much as our natural resources as possible. Um, so that is an area that I want to continue to look into. Um, as I'm moving to us carefully, moving to a city council seat, is to see how can we uh, preserve those natural resources? What can mm-hmm. we do? And also, how can we make sure that we maintain the integrity of the community with the people right. that's already there? So right. that is uh, the area that I want to stay on top of and look into as, I'm, as I prayerfully move into that seat. Mm-hmm. And then something that you know, I see it as, as running almost parallel to land development is transportation. Um, mm-hmm. 
I live in an area just off Brainerd Road where I see a lot of people, you know, maybe they can't afford a car, maybe they just don't want a car, uh, but they, they're trying to ride their bikes along Brainerd Road, they're trying to walk, they're trying to go to the bus station, um, and there's there's not a lot of multimodal, multimodal transportation options for people who might not have a car. Um, at the same time, there's there's a lot of areas of town that, you know, traffic is a big issue, you know, car traffic is a big issue, traffic jams, accidents, that kind of thing. And so I'm wondering, what do you think the city council can do to make sure that Chattanooga is, you know, sustainably keeping in touch with its its transportation and infrastructure and making sure it's it's up to speed, um, whether that be cars, buses, train, or uh, bikes? Right. Um, well, I think adding bike lanes is important. I see a lot of people, because um, like I said, I work in Alter Park. Live in East Lake. I say a lot of people riding bike, bikes. So I think bike lanes are important. I think increasing the number of crosswalks is important. Uh, also, looking at uh, Carter. Uh, Carter is, you know, I I didn't have a car for a couple of years, so I rode mm -hmm. the Carter bus to and from work. Um, and on Sundays, it was hard to get to work because you know they run on my mom right. my mom off the Sunday schedule, uh, mm -hmm. and they stopped running after six o'clock here in East Lake. Um, I think it stops running at six o'clock anyway, just during the week, I believe, six or eight mm -hmm. o'clock. Um, so if you have anywhere else to go after that, well, just, I don't know. <laughs> Good luck. Another way. Yeah. Uh, but Carter is working on that. They have uh, the Carter redesign. Uh, as far as what they have uh, listed in the budget, um, they mentioned that half of their fleet was already out of date, more than out of date. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a matter of investing into Carter, investing into some eco-friendly um, transit options and increasing those transit options to other areas. Like as, because when you think about it, as you as people are being pushed out of inner city and pushing out to uh, the outskirts of Brainerd, so Highway 58 and all that, they don't have a way to get back. You know, same right. thing with the that goes to Highway 58. Once you get out there, I think it stops running about six or eight o'clock as well. Mm -hmm. So if you work and don't get off to 10, you just out of luck, you gotta find a ride. Mm -hmm. So it's about being engaged, consistently engaged with car, the Carter redesign. So as they're continuing to uh, redesign what they want to look like in the next few years, what transportation look like in the next few years in Chattanooga, uh, being a part of that to make sure that community voices are heard, that uh, we're seeing increased routes, because it used to be increased routes. It used to be, um, like, for instance, I, I lived in, a, when I was younger, I lived in the uh, Orchard Knob, Churchville area. Mm -hmm. However, I went to Brainerd High School. So I used to be able, my first year of school, I was able to catch the bus from Churchville straight to Brainerd. Mm -hmm. uh, but came my sophomore year, couldn't catch that bus. I don't know what happened. I, you know, right. I was younger. I was like, oh, what am I going to do? How am I going to get to school? Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to catch a ride to somebody else to catch the school bus. And that was every morning. And that was so right. exhausting. And so by the time I got to school, I was exhausted. Like, I I done did all this just to get to school, and it's just seven fifteen. Right. Um, so it was really difficult. So I can, I one hundred percent feel the pain of people who are trying to get somewhere and don't have that access. Um, so definitely staying involved in that, staying on top of that, even speaking to like my mom. Sometimes you know she don't want to drive her car; she catch the bus. Uh, so having that access is going to be key and important, and staying engaged with that car to redesign is going to be. Uh, detrimental in getting that getting that done. Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about um, Chattanooga's making a name for itself as an outdoor destination. 
with the climbing, the whitewater rafting, the hiking. Uh, we've been named number one outdoor city in the U.S. twice by Outdoor Magazine. And so I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on this new reputation? How do we take advantage of it? And how do we also manage this growth and make sure it doesn't become, you know, draw so many people that we can't handle the new influx? How do we, how do we manage those two? Um, if take advantage of it, uh, that create, like you see the, um, the, the events like uh, Ironman and the rowing competitions and things like that, uh, being able to take advantage of it by helping increase our uh, economic stability, sustainability is important. Uh, so I think that's how we can take advantage of it, not only for uh, tourists and people coming in, but also looking at it uh, from just your everyday Chattanooga and going down experiencing what we have. So I think it's a, I mean, Chattanooga is a beautiful city. It is very different than what it was like 20 years ago of a very beautiful city, uh, very well laid out. So I think we're doing a good job and taking advantage of it, creating that economic base for it. Um, but at the same time, you say, how do we manage the growth of it? Uh, that's the issue that I believe when you look at the, um, I don't know if you, you probably are familiar with the Riverfront One, project and that is them going back that is river city company is a river city company project and they're going back and say um doing some more work down in that riverfront area mm -hmm. um and the issue i know in one of the work groups um i was in i think i did maybe one or two of the groups and it was a lot of chattanoogans were not uh utilizing the riverfront area as much as they had hoped so the goal is to um, increasingly beautify the area while also encouraging Chattanoogas to participate in it. Um, so I think that's a way to manage the growth is begin to encourage Chattanoogans to come down and encourage Chattanoogans to participate in the area because it seems like, you know, it was developed without Chattanoogans in mind. Uh, so to to reevaluate that and come back and say, okay, let's get Chattanooga's involved because we want to see the area grow. We want to have right. large events like River Bend. We want to have uh, the Iron Man and all these things. We want to have those things. We want that to be inclusive of all Chattanooga's as well mm -hmm. as those coming to visit as well. So I think right. managing that growth is going to require community input and uh, just heavy community engagement. Mm -hmm. And do you have any particular ideas on, you know, one thing I hear a lot is, we're doing a great job marketing the outdoors to people who are visiting here as tourists or who are moving here for the outdoors. Um, but there are communities that historically have not been as connected with the outdoors. I can't remember who I was interviewing. It might've been Monty Brule, but he was saying that, you know, he knows people who grew up in Alton Park and never, never even saw the river for, you know, most of their childhood. Um, and just didn't, you know, lacked those connections to these outdoor resources. Uh, do you have any ideas on how the city council can improve that? Uh, yes, actually, uh, that goes back to uh, one of my uh, my campaign platforms, which is neighborhood equity. Uh, how do we connect communities to the riverfront? Because you want it to be one cohesive unit. You want it to be the riverfront, but it's, it's connected to all of Chattanooga. And you do that by first engaging with the community. My whole approach is community engagement. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example. And I love this example because they did such a good job. Um, over the past two years, I've uh, worked with and watched the Trust for Public Land as they did community, gauge, community engagement around the Alton Park Connector. 
Um, the connector is going to connect Alton Park to the riverfront. Um, it's going to connect down on the South Broad Street connection. Mm -hmm. um, and watching how they did that type of community engagement. Instead of hosting, like, instead of coming in and saying, okay, y'all, we need the community to come to this community meeting uh, this day and that day, they found out what was going on in the community and they mm -hmm. went to it. They went to okay. whether you were having a fish fry, your church was having something, a feeding program, a garden program, uh, something at the center, they went to it. They canvassed the community. Yeah. It was, I would say they have done one of the best jobs I've seen somebody do with mm -hmm. community engagement. And that's how they got the input. They came right. to like an apartment complex. They did like a raffle thing. It was it was so fun. Um, they raffled off something that you would like a bunch of cleaning supplies and you can go just give right. your input, get in the raffle. Um, and it was really good. So that is what's going to begin. You're going to begin to see the neighborhood equity of engaging in the outdoor, engaging in uh, the different communities. And it also requires an understanding of culture. Uh, mm -hmm. what outdoors looks like for some people is not what outdoors look like for others. Mm -hmm. uh, you have those who like to hike, they like to kayak, they like to do all that. I call it extreme outdoor sports, but extreme <laughs> outdoor. <laughs> and then you have others who just want to go to a park, have mm -hmm. a picnic, uh, walk their dog or go for a run or whatever. So you want to look at, the. you have to look at the cultural aspect of how does this community this culture do outdoors instead of trying mm -hmm. to frame it into outdoors is this this is what the outdoors is is this right and everybody needs to fit in this box is more of a no how does this community do outdoors and how can we um how can we shape our program shape a development around what they do because then you know you're going you, they're going to use it because it's shaped around their culture and not shaped around your idea of what you think they should be doing right that sounds that sounds like a great idea what you're talking about with the Alton Park connector because I know that is an issue with a lot of these community engagement you know you schedule a meeting and then it's only the people who you know have the ability you know the schedule is open so that they can attend the meeting and then also the desire to go attend that meeting so you end up with a very self-selected group of people so going into the community that sounds like something that would really be useful um, so I just want to know before we go, that's that's all the questions that that I had in particular, but I want to make sure that you know this podcast is is for you to talk to the voters mostly. So I want to make sure that if there's anything else that you want to make sure the voters know about your platform and what you're running on. Uh, sure. Um, I'm running on neighborhood equity. That is about bringing the community together so we can move progressively forward. Uh, economic development, supporting our small local businesses. Uh, and from a community standpoint, you know, some communities want development in their community. They want to mm -hmm. see that. And so encouraging that, supporting that. Uh, and then finally, infrastructure and transportation, that access is going to be key and important. People being able to get to work, to and from work, get to and from uh, whether they're taking their kids to school or wherever they need to go, having that access to get there, whether they want to ride a bike, whether they want to catch the bus, drive their car, whatever they want to do, make sure that we have, they have the access for that and that the infrastructure is in place for that. Mm -hmm. So I want to encourage voters, uh, if you're not registered to vote, the uh, registration deadline is going to be February the 1st. Mm -hmm. uh, early voting starts February the 10th through the 25th. And then actual election day is going to be 
March the 2nd. They can request the absentee ballot now. Um, they will mm -hmm. mail that out to them so they can go ahead and request those if they would like to do that. And for more information, they can go to govotetn.org and um, all the information will be listed there. And if you live in District 7, make sure you vote for Rakita Dotley on building because we'll be building stronger communities together. Great. And where can voters go to find out more about your campaign? Um, they can go to rakitadotley.com. They can also check me out on Facebook and Instagram at Vote Rakita. Great. Well, Rakita, running for District 7 again, I want to thank you for your time and good luck in March. Okay. Thank you so much. You have a good day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics, or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.